Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Here we go. Hey, we're in this series uh, called Stressed Out, which I've just done to Robin. Uh, Stressed Out. And we're talking about anxiety and fear and worry, and the team has done a great job. And I want to wrap uh, that up uh, this weekend. And I also just want to give a bit of a disclaimer right from the very beginning. I'm... I'm not, a, I'm not an anxious person. I, I don't tend to struggle with anxiety. Um, I, I've got issues, believe me, uh, that, that, um, that I have in my life, but anxiety is not one of them. I'm actually, um, you know, back in the day, they, they used to say with someone who had anxiety or worry, they called them a worry wart. I have no idea why they call people worry warts, um, and, but I just didn't fall into that category. On that spectrum of worry and anxiety, I was actually on the complete opposite. I did stuff I probably should have been worried about. Uh, I didn't really think through things. I mean, some of you know my stories. I grew up in Asia. I went to boarding school. Um, you know, for fun on the weekend, we'd go down to this lagoon that had these tidal rivers and, the, you know, the jellyfish would come into the, tide, into the lagoons and when the tide would go out, they'd rush out these tidal rivers and we thought it'd be fun just to try and see who could get across without being stung. That's what I did for fun growing up in Asia. Or in the dorm, there would be, uh, someone say there's a cobra and people would run and my friends and I, we'd run to it to try and catch it. And in fact, a couple years ago in Central Oregon, uh, our family was on vacation with kids and grandkids, and uh, someone pointed out there was a snake in this bush, and they're all backing away from it. And I just instinctively went right over to it, stuck my hand in the bush to try and capture it. It tries to bite at me. It gets out of the bush. It starts wiggling away. I chase after it, pick it up, and show it to my grandkids. This is a snake. And they're like, yeah. Uh, And then I see my daughter sitting over on the lawn over here. I thought, I'm just going to, she hates snakes. I walk over, sort of drop it in front of her. She doesn't see me doing it. She freaks out, screams, is angry. That's a whole other story. I'm just telling you, anxiety is not my issue. (laughs) It's not something I struggle with, which is why what happened to me this year was so surprising to me. I'm in the Middle East. I'm speaking uh, to our international workers Done the morning talk, and um, we're about ready to head over to this castle. It's kind of a tourist site. It's about a couple miles, a five, ten minute drive from the retreat center. So we're going to do lunch, and a bunch of us are going to get in the car and go over and see this, uh, see this castle. So we do lunch. The car pulls up, small car, a couple uh, rows in the back of the car, and of course it's got the driver's seat, passenger seat. I, I tend to do is I just jump in the back, uh, get in the, in the back seat. Someone's already back there. And I get in the back seat. It's pretty tight. Knees are up. And I'm, I'm immediately, as my knees are up, I feel this weird sensation in my, in my gut. And um, quickly, I, I, I know it, it's like this fear uh, hits me. And it doesn't stay there. It actually intensifies and it rises within me. And it's like this incredible pressures on my chest of this, this fear and anxiety. In fact, I, I know right then and there, I've got to get out of this back seat. And my first inclination was go out the back window. I can knock it out of my head. That's the intensity of what I'm feeling. But instead of doing that, I, uh, I feigned that I had a leg cramp and shouted out that I needed to get out. Now, saying you feigned something, that's a really nice way of saying I completely fabricated a story and lied. Okay? Because I didn't want to say, I'm having an anxiety attack. 
I, I just, I, I got I got a link. And Trina happened to be getting in front of me. Uh, they're in the second row. So she jumps out. The, the seat folds back up. I get out of the car and I get, and literally I was like catching my breath outside the car. Everyone gets back in. I get into the middle row. I'm good. Uh, we get to the castle and uh, we get out of the car and I say to Trina, it's like, man, I had the weirdest thing happened to me. And I said, I just, I lied about the leg cramp. And she's like, what? I said, I didn't have a leg cramp. You said you had a leg cramp. I know, I, I, I lied about the leg cramp. Why did you lie about the leg cramp? Because I had this overwhelming fear come over me. And my wife, who's married to a guy who chases snakes and swims through jellyfish, was surprised as well. Ah, it's just kind of one of those things that happens. And then several months later, it happens again. I'm uh, on this trip with the team I get to lead, the pastoral management team. And uh, we're at our denominational conference and we're uh, going to sessions and we're Ubering our way to meals. And so we're at dinner, we have dinner and we're Ubering back to the conference center. The car pulls up, um, it's a small little car, two rows in the back, driver's passenger seat. I jump into the back. I'm the first one in all the way to the back corner and in jumps in next to me, Brian Candela. And right away, the pit in my stomach, fear thing happens. <laughs> Right? Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's the same thing I was feeling when I was in the Middle East. Starts right here, intensifies, the tide rushes in, I'm feeling it in my chest, but I'm, I'm stuck back here, and right away, I'm sitting back there going, it's, guys, this is like a five or 10 minute drive. And I'm sitting back there, and right away, I'm, internally, I'm saying, oh, Jesus, Jesus, help me, Jesus. Jesus. You got to get me through this, Jesus. And at the same time, I'm having a conversation with Brian and talking, you know, kind of sparsely, because I'm just battling my way on this 10-minute drive back to the conference center. Now, anxiety's not my, I, it's not my thing. I just, this really hasn't plagued me, and I don't typically struggle with it. And so it was just so surprising to me. In fact, when we got to the conference center, I'm battling the whole way. The car pulls up, people are getting out, and they're so slow in getting out of the car. <laughs> Because the full weight of what I was feeling did not lift until I put my feet on the ground. Completely shocking to me. And what's even more astonishing is I've been reading about this topic, the impact, because the fear in the mind, the stress in the body, the impact it has on us. 1996, it's the Euro Cup quarterfinal. It's a soccer match. It's the European Championships. The French are playing the Dutch. 90 minutes of soccer, no goals are scored, so it goes to extra time. Extra time is played, no goals are scored, and so it's declared there's going to be a sudden death penalty shootout. Oh, man, this is, this is when intensity, stress rises. My daughter was a goalkeeper in high school, so I, I know all about this stress uh, through, through her eyes and her mind. And as parents, we, we've watched her in these situations. And the, the, the shots are being taken, and uh, researchers tell us that on that day, 60% of the population of the Netherlands is watching this game. 60% of the country watching this game. And it turns out that the Dutch lose the penalty shootout. They lose, and medical researchers study that game, and they study five days before the game, five days after the game, and they see that on the game itself, just before and just after the penalty shootout, 14 Dutch men died of heart attacks. And... In the five days prior and the five days after, there was a rise of cardio events among the Dutch, men and women, of 50%. French are fine. They, they won the game, okay? We're talking about a soccer game. 
and the anxiety of a soccer game having that kind of impact on people's body. And that might sound extreme, but the reality is, is that you and I, when we have anxiety or we deal with fears or worries start to pile up on us, that it manifests itself in, in, in our bodies. I mean, it can be things like insomnia or high blood pressure, or you're, you're sitting down and uh, you're going to get up to go do something. So you get up to go do it and you start going and you completely forgot why you got up to go, whatever you're going to do. Could be old age, might be stress. It's been clinically diagnosed that aggressive driving road rage is linked to anxiety. I was reading one doctor said that 75% of his patient visits are rooted in anxiety. It also manifests itself in an, an, an over-obsession in end times and apocalyptic novels like the Left Behind series. I'm just totally kidding, that was a joke. But anxiety <laughs> is not a joke. Anxiety is not a joke. Consider some of the songs that people are writing. Sean Mendes in his, uh, his song called It Isn't In My Blood says, I'm looking through my phone again. I'm feeling anxious. Afraid to be alone again. I hate this. I'm trying to find a way to chill. Can't breathe. Is there somebody who could help me? It's like the walls are caving in. Sometimes I feel like giving up. No medicine is strong enough. Someone help me. I'm crawling in my skin. And sometimes I feel like giving up, but I just can't. It isn't in my blood. And then Tyler Joseph from 21 Pilots in his song called Stressed Out writes, I wish I had found some better sounds no one's ever heard. I wish I had a better voice that sang some better words. I wish I had found chords in an order that is new. I wish I didn't have to rhyme every time I sang. I was told, <laughs> uh, good, you got it. The other service is like, what? I was told when I get older, all my fears would shrink. But now I'm insecure and I care what people think. My name's Blurry Face and I care what you think. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. And friends, people are more stressed out than ever. We're stressed out because of relationships. Stressed out for lack of employment. We're stressed out because we got an argument with someone we really care about. We're stressed out because we're a new parent and we're trying to raise, we have this, this first child and we're trying to raise this child and, 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 and do as best we can. We're stressed out because we can't have children. We're stressed out because our kids are fighting. We're, we're stressed out because of, uh, of the cost of healthcare. We're, we're stressed out because of a health diagnosis. It just, this anxiety and stress comes at us in so many different ways, and it's so hard, it's, 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 it's so torturous. In fact, that's exactly what Soren Kierkegaard, he's a Danish philosopher, uh, he's a Christian. Uh, Kierkegaard says this, no grand inquisitor has in readiness such terrible tortures as anxiety. And when anxiety is full-blown and fear sets in, here's what, here's what happened, just some observations. Fear becomes vision without hope. It's the friend of worst-case scenarios. We catastrophize. It turns me into a false prophet. I start making declarations about how the future is going to turn out, and it's completely wrong. Uh, it damages my relationships. Some of us end up being like grenades that have the pin pulled. And someone said something to us or we experienced something and our reaction is disproportionate to the action that we experienced. And we explode. 
and it damages relationships. One person said that it, I feel like my soul has a migraine. Okay, you know, when you, you have, when you have a migraine, you, some of you drop a pen, makes a noise. It sounds like a gun's been shot. Um, my, my soul has a migraine. It's just, it just becomes so re- explosive and responsive. It makes me self-centered and self-absorbed. And it's like a demonic spirit that needs to be cast out, which is why the, the New Testament writers would say perfect love casts out fear. Meaning that when you, when you understand the perfect love of the Father, it's, it's almost like it's, it's exorcism language. It casts out this fear that has a grip on us. And friends, whether it's a chronic battle you're having with anxiety or stress or a weird thing like being in the backseat of a car and never having experienced before, you gotta ask this question. <laughs> what, what is, how does God want us to respond to our anxiety? What's his response to our anxiety? What would he say to us about the stress and the worry that we're carrying with us? And what I, what I wanna do is just, I wanna just speak some of those responses as I see them in scripture, but can I just tell you, there's two responses that are just not helpful. The first response is this, is to say to someone who's struggling with anxiety, say, you know, you just need to trust God more. You just, need, you just trust God more. And th- there's, a, there's a kernel of truth in that, Matthew chapter six, don't worry, oh ye of little faith. And there's a kernel of truth there, but what you do is you mock and demean the true battle that someone is having as they go through this anxiety. And let me remind you that the son of God, Jesus himself went through a period of intense anxiety and no one trusted God more than Jesus. And he went through anxiety. It's not a helpful response. There's a kernel of truth there but it's not a helpful response to someone who's struggling. On the flip side, it's not a helpful response to simply say, well, this is something I've always struggled with. I'll continue to struggle with it. There's nothing, it's biological, it's intellectual. I went through this experience as a young kid. It will always be there. That's not helpful because what you've embraced is victimization and you've adopted a worldview of determinism. And you're saying is that your anxiety is beyond the reach of Jesus. There is a kernel of truth. Sometimes anxiety is rooted in, 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 in biological issues in our, in our, in our, in our body. Sometimes, it, yeah, there's stuff that happened in our life that produces this anxiety. But friends, both responses are not helpful. To say to somebody that you just need to trust God more, it mocks and demeans the battle that they're going through. And to say that oh, this is just the way it's gonna be is to, to, to really just to turn a blind eye to transformation. But the reality is, is that God has something to say to our anxiety, however it manifests in our lives. And I just want, I want to present three of them and, and I want us to look at Jesus. And so here's three, three responses I see in scripture. First one put up on the screen behind me is simply this. You need to look for joy in the midst of your grief. Look for joy in the midst of your grief. Now, I'm gonna walk you through some scriptures. I'm just gonna tell you up front, these are not my favorite scriptures. I'll explain why in a second. First one's James chapter one. Not a big fan of this verse. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Philippians chapter four, Brian hit this last week. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Here's another one, Romans chapter five. This one, this one kind of has a sting to it. Rejoice in your suffering. And actually, I could could keep going and showing you scriptures where it talks about joy in the midst of pain. And for a long time, I just, man, I just didn't like these verses because it feels like that what I'm supposed to do when I'm going through difficulty or the tide levels of anxiety rise, I'm just supposed to pretend it's not happening. 
I'm supposed to just sweep it aside, put it under a rug, put on a happy face, hakuna matata, don't worry, be happy, it's all good. And sometimes, we, and unfortunately, sometimes that's the message that's been communicated. And friends, that's not the heart of your, of your heavenly dad. And that's not the heart of scripture. Actually, because when you, when you dig deep, what you see is this, like Psalm 94. This is a great example of this. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts cheer my soul. Now, we'll leave, that, leave this up here because this verse perfectly illustrates this. Some of us have this idea that, you know, when anxiety rises or pain rises, I'm going through suffering, it's a bad season, and all I need to do is just press through this bad season and get to the good season. Hang on, endure, persevere, and I can get through this rough season and I can get to the easier season. We look at it in linear fashion. I'm going through a good season. This is awesome. I really hope this lasts a long time and that I don't have one of those tough seasons again. It's this linear approach to life. But the reality is that's not the way life is. The good and the bad run on parallel tracks. Both are happening. You've got anxiety within me and comforts that cheer my soul. Meaning, here's what I think God's saying to us when he says rejoice when you're suffering. He's saying, look, you're going through a difficult season. Lift your chin up and look and see where I'm active. Don't minimize your pain. Don't minimize the problem you're going through. But I'd want you, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to maximize it. Because that's where you lose hope. So the, the, the writers of scriptures are, are, are saying, yeah, you know, Philippians chapter four, you're going through persecution. It's intense. So we start talking about anxiety with you. This is significant anxiety. Rejoice, and again, I say rejoice. Lift your head, understand that when you're going through this rough season, there's also a season, there's also a, a, a parallel track, and God is at work. But it takes a lot of effort to lift your chin up to notice that. So what we, what we need is, is, is in the midst of our grief, look for ways that God's at work and rejoice and see that he is with us. It's not about enduring and getting through this so we can be done with it. It's understanding that, that the good and the bad run on parallel tracks. The second thing I would say to us is, uh, is this. It's, um, it's make your will your rudder. Let me explain this. I want you to picture a sailboat. Picture a big sail and a rudder. Okay, you got this sailboat, and uh, the, the sail represents your emotions. The rudder represents direction in life. Now, you got that picture in your head. Think about Jesus as he's talking, and he's talking about worry and anxiety in Matthew chapter six. And so here's what Jesus says. Matthew six, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Pause there. There are a lot of things in life that come our way. In this case, we're talking about clothing and, and, and we're talking about food and it's just a representation of some of the things that lack of bring anxiety to our lives. And when that happens, the emotions rise, right? You feel it in the pit in your stomach. It rises up into your chest and you get pretty anxious about it. And what Jesus is saying here is, don't worry, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Look, the things that you're worrying about, if you'll keep the rudder in the water, they'll, they'll come your way because you're valuable to the Father. And then in Philippians chapter four, Paul's echoing this. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
Some of your Bibles say, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Other scripture translations say, let your steadfastness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. This is a a church that's being persecuted. When I say make your will your rudder, here's what I'm getting at. Friends, there were some of you in the room who have very big emotions. And when the storms of life hit, the wind captures the sail. And your emotions take you to places that you would rather not go. In fact, in some cases, it takes you places that, that God doesn't want you to go. And, and if you notice this in kids, little kids, I mean, you're raising little kids. Or we, we have, you know, we've, had, we've raised kids and now we've got grandkids. And I remember when our kids were younger and, um, and, you, and your, your kids ask for, you know, it all seems to happen in a public place. Your kids ask for ice cream at the grocery store. You tell them no. And they drop to the floor and they're rolling in the aisle of a grocery store. So upset that they're not going to get ice cream. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's like I just told you, you're never going to get a meal the rest of your life. I just said no to ice cream. The fact of the matter is, is that's quite a normal response for a little kid, right? Emotions are developed and their resolve, their will, the the, the faculties to have resolve will be developed in time. Some of you dropped your kids off a children's ministry. You're hoping the children's ministry workers can solve all that for you while you're here in church. (laughs) See, that's what what immaturity looks like. Can I just say this to you? And, And I'm not attempting... To, to offend you. By the way, before we're done here, I'll offend everyone. I'm an equal opportunity offender. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get all of you. Some of you in the room have very big emotions and a very undeveloped rudder. And you need to mature. Because when the storms of life come, you're in spin cycle and it's taking you places that God never intended you to go. And you need to seek first his kingdom Let your reasonableness and your steadfastness set in so the passion that God's given you can take you to places that he wants to take you. Now, some of you already are making a mistake because here's what you're saying. Oh, I sure hope so-and-so is here today. They're so dramatic. Such big emotions. Oh, if they weren't here, I'm going to give them the podcast, show them the live stream, make sure that, I mean, I, I mean I'll, I'm going to sit down and make sure they watch this. See, some of you are going there. And here's why you're going there. You have a, you have a giant rudder and an itty-bitty little sail. You grew up being taught that emotions were bad. You grew up, you could be under control. So you, you grew up thinking that to be expressive was, this, was that, that was just immaturity. No, no, here's what's going on. You have a giant rudder, but you're emotionally numb. You go to a funeral and you're wondering, why is everybody sad? I mean, last breath here on earth, first breath in heaven, they're with Jesus, let's go have cookies in the reception hall. And come on, people. And you're emotionally numb. And you need to sail. There, you need some passion to go along with your rudder. And think about Jesus for a moment. God incarnate. John chapter 11, Jesus, here's news from a messenger. A messenger comes to him and says, hey, I got some bad news. Your good friend Lazarus is sick and uh, and he's dying. And uh, Jesus, thank you very much for that news. And uh, the messenger goes back. Now, if you, you know, spoiler alert, here's how the story ends for those who don't know the story. Jesus is gonna, Lazarus is gonna die. He's gonna be put in a grave. A stone's gonna be rolled over the grave because it's hewn out of a rock. 
and uh, Lazarus is gonna be in this tomb. Jesus is gonna walk up, have the stone rolled away. He's gonna say, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus will come out wrapped in grave clothes and Jesus is gonna raise him from the dead. Okay, that's how the story ends. Jesus, your friend is gonna die. Okay. He tarries for a couple other days. His disciples are confused at why he's not going back right away. Realize Jesus has healed all kinds of people. I mean, he, he spoke healing from a distance and, and people have been healed. They've, they tracked it back. Like, when, when was it? When, when did, oh, it's right when, that's exactly when Jesus said this. He doesn't do any of that. He waits a couple days and then goes back to Bethany. And when he gets back to Bethany, Martha hears that Jesus is coming and she does what you and I would naturally do. Jesus, if you had been here, this mess would not have happened. Jesus, if only you had been there and you had healed, just like you've healed all kinds of other people, my brother would still be alive. And then Jesus does something odd. He engages in a theological conversation with Martha. Martha, you do believe that I'm the resurrection of life, right? Yeah, yeah, yes, Jesus. I know that we'll all rise again at the last day. Mary comes out and she's at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here, this, my brother would still be alive. And Jesus says, take me to his grave. And he gets there and he sees the people in grief. He sees the people mourning. And then John eleven thirty five 35 says, Jesus wept. Why are you crying, Jesus? You know how this ends. You're, you're going to walk up and say, move the stone. Lazarus, come out. You're going to raise him up from the dead. Why are you crying, Jesus? I'll tell you why he's crying. Because he has a sail. He has a sail. He has a rudder. He's human. He's God incarnate. And he knows what it's like to feel. And while some of us have a sail, we need to develop a rudder. Others of us, we have a rudder. We need to develop our sail. So the winds of life, whatever, the good seasons, bad seasons, they can take us in the direction of the kingdom advancement that God wants to involve us in. So in sometimes when God would speak to our anxiety, he's gonna say, look, in, in the midst of your grief, look, look for the joy. And in other times, what he's gonna say is make your will your utter. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All the other stuff gets added in. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness, your steadfastness be evident to all in the midst of your anxiety. And thirdly, here's what I believe scripture would say to us, is redirect your worrying to praying and tell God what you want. Look, if you want to grow your prayer life, pay attention to what's stressing you out. And as you pray, I mean, get this, you are, you are his kids. He's given you access to his office, to his throne room. You get to go in and tell him what you want. And oftentimes what happens, I mean, is when anxiety hits, we, we run all a bunch of other directions and the invitation there is to go directly to your father. Here's what I've noticed about my life. When I've experienced stress or anxiety or I'm in pain, what I want is resolution. I want this over, I want this done, I want this fixed, I want this to stop. I want resolution. God wants relationship. And so he tells us to come to him and ask. 
when stress is, and man, and there's all kinds of reasons to be stressed out about what's happening in our world. And what I love about the Bible is it's just so plain honest. You're going through all the stress, you're seeing the, the global news cycle, you're hearing all the stuff that's going on and you're opening your Bible and it's so, so, it's just, it's so honest because it actually tells you that things are actually worse than they seem. And, and you press in and you pray until the burden lifts. And sometimes the only thing you can pray is, Jesus, 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 help, help me, Jesus. Help, help me, Jesus. And you pray, you pray and you, sometimes you, feel, you kind of feel the tide recede. And then it comes back to Jesus, Jesus, help me, help Jesus. It's an invitation to pray and to tell God what you want. Some of you need a new narrative of who your father in heaven is, your heavenly dad. See, some of you think that you have a red light God, a red light dad, meaning that when you go to him, the chances of him saying yes or answering your prayer are pretty low. And his, his most common response is no. 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 Why, why would I give that to you? You don't just, no. Why do you keep asking? No. Some of you have that picture of your heavenly dad and you need to shake that Etch-a-Sketch. Others will explain what Etch-a-Sketch to some of you later. You gotta shake that Etch-a-Sketch and get a new picture because you do not have a red light dad in heaven. You have a green light dad and he loves to say yes unless it's gonna bring harm to you or harm to others. He loves to say yes that's who he is. That, that's your father. That's why he says, ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. He, he loves to say yes. And some of us need to understand that when we're going through pain, we're going through stress, when anxiety tides are rising, that we have a father in heaven who invites us into his oval office and we get to interrupt everything that's going on there and say, hey, I'm going through this thing right now and it is just stressing me out. I'm watching my parents go through this, this, this aging thing, stress. I'm watching my kids make decisions to stress. I, mean, I don't have a job right now and I need a job. Healthcare costs are driving me crazy. That health diagnosis is really making me nervous. And you get to barge in to the throne room and go to your green light heavenly dad and lay your request before him. And he listens and he cares. Now, let me just wrap this all up Let's look at Jesus for a moment. Every gospel writer records this moment in Jesus' life. It's the moment just after the Last Supper. He's gonna go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Gethsemane literally means the olive press or to crush olives. He's going into Gethsemane and every gospel writer makes mention that Jesus is in deep distress that he's under the burden of heavy sorrow. And they describe this, this anguish, this emotional anguish. I mean, the crucifixion is coming. He's not, he's not facing any of that yet. This is emotional weight of anguish that's upon him. And he's in, he's in the garden, and, and what is he doing? And by the way, there's one gospel writer who gives us a little interesting little bit of information that the other gospel writers don't give. It's Luke, the doctor. Luke the doctor says he's sweating and his sweat is like drops of blood. Medical uh, professionals will tell you it's, it's quite rare, but there's this condition called hematidrosis. The capillaries around your sweat glands because of anxiety and stress, fear in the mind, stress in the body. The, your body can't physically handle the anxiety you're under and the capillaries around your sweat glands burst and blood mixes with water and your sweat is red. 
It's literally your sweat and blood. And it's all brought on by incredible stress. Do you know that's what your Jesus was experiencing as he was looking at the cross? This is the stress. This is the anxiety that he was dealing with. So what does he do? Well, we know that he prays and he prays three times. I mean, he prays until the burden lifts and he's praying. And what is he praying? He's bringing his request to the, his request to the father and he's saying, Father, if it is at all possible, if you could, I really don't want to go down this path. I don't want to go through this suffering. So if there's any other way, can we do it that way? Because I don't like the way this one's looking. And in that moment, the father says to him, red light. Why? Because think about our state without Jesus going to the cross. This would bring great harm to us. Millions of people have experienced liberation from the shackles of sin. Because in that moment, Jesus said, if it's possible, can we do it some other way? And the father says no, and so Jesus decides. Guess what he does? His sail is up. He's experiencing all kinds of emotions, but he puts his rudder in the water and he lets it take him to the cross. And he goes to the cross and he never says a word in his defense. Friends, you have a savior who struggled and he struggled with anxiety to the point that his body was manifesting in a pretty rare way. And by the way, he knew there was a rough season ahead of him, but he also knew there was a good season because the writer of Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew this just wasn't something to push through so get to get, they, they run in parallel. He prays, he puts his rudder in the water. Hebrews chapter four really captures well what that means for us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Some of you are struggling with anxiety. Jesus struggled with anxiety. Some of you have believed that your anxiety has caused you to fall out of favor with God the Father. Not all anxiety and worry is sin. Jesus was full of anxiety to the point where he sweat drops of blood and still he did not sin. Is there times when our worry and our anxiety is sin? Of course, but not every time. You have a Christ who walked this road that you're walking as well and it was brutally heavy for him. Who else to go to when we're carrying this burden ourselves? So here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for those of us in the room who are in this place where anxiety and stress and worry has been a heavy burden for us. And friends, some of you, it's just a little thing. It's not that big of a deal and you're minimizing it. Um, Jesus wants to heal you of that anxiety. Others of you, this is, this is a huge issue for you. Something you dealt with your whole life. Call it chronic anxiety, call it what you want. Jesus wants to bring healing to you. He wants to bring comfort to you. So I'm gonna invite you, because I wanna pray for you. I'm gonna invite you just to stand right where you're at. If that's you, I would, I would tell you this. If I were listening to me, I'd be standing up right now. Because I got this weird thing going on. There's no shame in struggling 
with anxiety. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for these dear ones. You know all the circumstances. For some in the room, it all stems back to an event from many, many years ago. And the battle's real. And it's overwhelming. For others, Lord, it's a new thing. It's a new circumstance. It could be relational. It could be financial. But they're paying an emotional price. So in the name of Jesus, I lift off shame from these dear ones. Your children. I lift off this, this condemnation. We, we, in, the, in the authority of Jesus, in the power and the blood of Jesus, we, we say to the enemy of these souls, silent. Be silent. You may no longer speak condemning thoughts to these children of the Father. These sons and daughters of the Most High King. And now we declare healing in Jesus' name. We declare comfort in Jesus' name. I ask and pray, Jesus, that you would just wander this whole room by your spirit and you would touch people. You would touch hearts. You would touch minds. You would touch bodies. And you would touch spirits. And you'd bring wholeness and healing. For some, Lord, it's been a struggle for a very long time and they're just, they're just they need relief. And they need healing. So I ask and pray that you would lead them to still waters and you would restore their souls. I ask and pray, O oh Lord God, that in this valley that you would set up a table, a feasting table for them. And you would shower them with abundance. I ask and pray, O oh Lord God, that your rod and your staff would comfort them. You would speak intimate words to them even now. You would give them pictures. You put a song in their heart. And I declare that surely goodness and mercy will follow them all the days of their life as you bring healing in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being our great high priest. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.